1: From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends or enemies who can't watch the show, you can tell them to go to HOTM.TV and they can watch it live streaming video from anywhere in the world. Also, beginning on the 19th of August, that's a Tuesday night from 8 to 9. Heart of the Matter will be airing on AM 820, 50,000 watts of truth. Tell your family and friends. They can hear it all over the state at the same time that we're on the air. Mark your calendars, Saturday, September 20th from 3 to 9 p.m., Burning Heart 08 at Sugarhouse Park. It's our statewide event. It's going to be a great time. We hope you can join us. Go to bornagainmormon.com for more information. We'd like to take a moment and thank all of you, wherever you are, whomever you are, for your support and care for this ministry. We thank you for all you've done and all you continue to do in terms of prayer and encouragement, sharing information with us, telling other people about the show, financial contributions, downloading shows and posting them in other places. And for all those things that you do that go unrecognized and go without the praise of men and go without us even knowing what's going on, we just want to take the time. We thank God in our hearts uh, and with our mouths for for what you do for the ministry. And uh, this past week, we had 18 young people come in from Bellflower, California on a missions trip. They came uh, to our Lord's Word service last Sunday, and they did the music and worship. It was just phenomenal. Uh, In fact, they're going to be here this coming Sunday. And so if you want to join us and hear their worship, and uh, it's an hour-long prayer, worship, hear the Bible taught. We invite you to come down to the Gateway Theaters from uh, 9 to 10 in the morning uh, or the University of Utah, and you can go to www.lordsword.org. For more information about that, but we've invited one of these fine, uh, fine youth to come on the show and share their testimony. This is Melissa. She's from Los Angeles, California, and uh, she is going to talk to us for a second. Melissa, tell us how you came to the Lord. Tell us your testimony.
2: Well, um, my first introduction to any kind of Christian growing up was actually not a Christian at all. It was an Aryan brother. So. My first glimpse of Christianity was not a good one, and I was scared all the time because he, he made our life terrible, so I just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think of Christians at all. My second view of Christians was actually whenever I lived with my aunt and my um, uncle in Bellflower, and they were Mormon. And so I got, to cha- I got a chance to talk to missionaries all the time, and they were telling me that they were Christian. I didn't believe them. I didn't understand how they could be because they didn't look at the Bible and it didn't make sense to me at all, like what they were saying. So um, I got, I had a very crazy family. My parents weren't saved at all. They weren't Christian at all. They told me they were Christian, but we didn't go to church ever. My Aunt Donna would pick me up on the weekend and then she would take me to church on Sunday. And so I had been going to church since about the second grade. And I knew about Christ. I knew who he was. I knew my Bible verses or whatever, the memory verses that they had us learn in Sunday school, I can sing about a billion songs to you. But, um, That's a lot of songs. Yeah. No. <laughs> we were singing them this morning, actually. All morning, we were singing I've Been Redeemed and all sorts of fun uh, kids songs that we learned growing up. But um, I was very insecure. I mean, I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. And then I got taken away from my mom, and then I was even more confused. I'm like, okay, God. What the heck? What is this, you know? At least the Mormons, they were family-centered. What what is going on here? I can't be with my mom anymore. Um, It was unhealthy as it was, though. She was a drug addict, and stuff was happening that I didn't need to be around. So God totally had his hand on everything. And so I went on this Christian camp after the sixth grade, going into the seventh grade. And I'm sitting there. And I know the Bible. I knew Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know this. And it's like I know my favorite singer. I knew everything about him. you know. But um, as the teacher was talking up there to me, he basically was sharing how Jesus Christ paid his life to be my Abba Father, to be my daddy. And then at that point, I was just like, what? How is that even possible? How is that possible? You paid your life. The most painful death ever created by man so you could love me? OK. I'm a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. I don't understand. And I just kind of broke. And I was just so grateful. And that's it. Wow. I fell in love with my Savior. That's it.
1: Praise God. Thank. You. Tell me, Melissa, um, if you could share uh, your heart with whatever is on it from the Lord with our audience, what would you say? What would you like to say to, to the audience?
2: Um, that life in and of itself is nothing but falling in love with the Lord, that's all it is. That is the point to everything. I don't find fulfillment in my parents, I don't find fulfillment in school or work or any kind of career, it's just I'm falling in love with the Lord and He makes me worth everything. And that's all I have, and that's all I'll ever need.
1: Well, praise God, thank you for being so brave and coming on the show. Thank yeah, you. did she you do a fine job, audience? And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, God in heaven, we thank you. We praise you. We're grateful for testimonies like uh, Melissa's and the many others that are out there for the work you do in people's lives. We pray you will step in now. Help me say the things you want and uh, help our audience members, whether they're here live or out there in the uh, viewing audience. Bless our technical staff, our volunteers, and uh, help with this message to go through as you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Aside from the phrase, I know, there is perhaps no more often line used among the LDS people, especially among those LDS who seek to promote Mormonism as the only true church on the face of the earth, than the phrase, by their fruits ye shall know them. Based on the amount of times the LDS used this phrase with me, it seems that they are generally quite confident that they lead the religious world in providing good fruits, Uh, and works for God. LDS apologists, Mormon missionaries, parents, seminary teachers the world over use this phrase quite often uh, under the false notion that Mormonism is true. They say it is evidence of the truth of Mormonism, uh, even the only true church on the face of the earth. How do I know the church is true, a missionary might say to an investigator, well, didn't Jesus say, by their fruits, ye shall know them? Now just look around at the fruits that we have, they will say to the investigator. And the investigator will look at their scrubbed appearance and their, their dress and the, the immaculate way they keep their buildings and their good financial situation and all the family activities and things. And that seems like, wow, you're, you must be saying something true. This statement, by their fruits, ye shall know them, is the 17th point of the 17 points of the True Church pamphlet that we've been covering for the past number of weeks. It's the last one and that's all it says. The 17th point of how you can know the church is true and it says by their fruits ye shall know them. That's the phrase. Tonight we're going to embark on the first of a three-part series relating extensively to this phrase, its meaning, and how ultimately it does more to prove Mormonism false than true. There are two major issues relative to this biblical passage. I'm going to set the stage tonight by explaining those two issues, and then we're going to continue next week to give specific examples of the LDS fruits and to see if we can judge by the fruits if they are true or not. Let's begin tonight by looking at the context of these words that the Lord used. By their fruits ye shall know them. This line is found only in one place in the Bible matthew chapter 7 passages relating to fruit bearing are far more abundant in the scriptures but these words are only found in the lord's sermon on the mount one place here we run into our first problem with the lds use of the phrase because they don't even quote the whole verse they only quote seven words in that verse and there are eight The passage actually has Jesus say, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now in scripture, whenever there is a wherefore, we need to ask, Wherefore is that wherefore therefore? Or why is that wherefore there at the beginning of this sentence? Why does Jesus say, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them? There is a wherefore here because Jesus is teaching a principle and he concludes teaching this principle by telling the disciples, you can be assured that by their fruits, you can know them. That's what this wherefore is. You can be assured. Who is the there in there by their fruits that the Lord is speaking about? By their fruits. Who's the there? Who is the them that we can know them by their fruits? Is it the church Jesus is speaking about, or a church? No. Wherefore, by a church's fruits ye shall know them? That's not it. Is it an organized religion? Nay, nay, said the horse. It is not an organized religion. No, it's a very specific person type who Jesus says that by looking at their fruits, we can know them. And that person is someone who claims to be a prophet, The teaching and context is only seven verses long. Let's read it and talk about it. Matthew chapter uh, seven, beginning at verse 15. Jesus says, the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. The Lord warns his disciples and us here through the word to beware of false prophets. Then he tells us how to tell if a person is a false or true prophet or not. Now this is not new. He did the same thing for the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to this and apply it to your thoughts on prophets. Deuteronomy 22 says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follows not, nor comes to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. But the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and thou shalt not be afraid of him. Okay. So one thing, what the prophet says is of the Lord, has to come to pass. That's one of the signs, okay, in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 13, 1 says, If there arises a prophet among you, or a dreamer of dreams, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, wherefore he says to you, let's go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So in the Old Testament, the Lord says there are two ways to tell if a prophet is false or not. One is, does what he says, do the things he says come to pass? The second way is, even if those things come to pass and he says, now follow me to worship this unknown God, don't follow him. Those are the two things. So now Jesus here expands in the New Testament how to tell if a self-proclaimed prophet is true or not. And he says, verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. Then he says something that is truly meaningful. It really gives meaning to this, and it's hard to understand how it's written in the King James, but he says, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? A better way to understand this next verse is, do men gather grapes of thorns? from thorns or figs from thistles what he is teaching here is that certain fruit comes from certain trees a good tree can only produce good fruit and a bad tree can only produce bad fruit in other words no tree produces both good and bad fruit or this would render the teaching faulty we don't have a tree that is giving good and bad here. We have a tree that gives good fruit, and we have a tree that gives bad fruit. That's the analogy. This is an important key that is often misunderstood about this passage. A tree cannot produce good and bad fruit, and when we speak of fruit being good and bad, we are speaking of types of fruit, not the condition of the fruit itself. It's, it's, I know this is some heavy stuff, but you've got to hear it. A banana is a good fruit. It comes from a banana tree. That is a good tree. It produces a good fruit. A ball ball fruit of deadly wampa poison fruit is not a good fruit. It comes from the wampa poison fruit tree. And so it's not good fruit. We're talking about trees and the kind of fruit they produce. In other words, an apple tree cannot produce a poison orb fruit. It can only produce apples, which are good. So the connection is, if the tree produces a useful or edible fruit, it is a good tree. But if a tree produces an unusable fruit, it is bad. By these fruits, you will know what kind of tree it is or what kind of profit this is. What kind of profit it is by the fruits that he or she produces. Get it? So Jesus continues supporting this idea even more. Verse 17 and 18, he says, Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So here, speaking of how to detect a false prophet, Jesus says a false prophet cannot produce good fruit. Can't. He also says that neither can a true prophet produce bad fruit. So we're faced with a mind-blowing either-or here in light of this scripture. Either all the fruit produced by Joseph Smith, who claimed he was a prophet, is good fruit, or nothing produced by Joseph Smith can be considered good fruit. Wow, that is really wild. Nothing that he brought can be considered good fruit? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. You see, God knows that anything that is produced that does not come from him, and his will is bad fruit. Even if it seems to serve humanity or feed the poor or give people jobs or help them choose the right, his view is on the eternal life of man and not on their temporal needs and their temporal successes, though the temporal needs are certainly important to God of people. But it's better to starve physically with a true idea of God in your heart than to starve spiritually with a good job and a belly full of food. We cannot say and be in accordance with God's word that some things an evil despot does are good because in the end, the things that the evil despot does, even though they seem to be good, will lead to destruction. It's sort of like donating money to the KKK because they're hosting a walk for blind kids. In the end, you're supporting the KKK, you see? And this is what God is like. This is, how he is what he's saying. Now, admittedly, I've had to repent on this issue in my life. I used to say that, um, well, this godless institution or that humanitarian philosophy does some good here on earth. So while I don't agree with their ideologies, I really like their bake sales or what they're trying to do for the homeless. You see, I used, to ju- I used to be able to balance those two in my mind. But now relative to God's word, I see it as wrong. Because the some good they appear to do in the end leads to ways that are not of God. Therefore, all that they do is bad fruit. This is why people boycott corporations that will produce a good product, but they will resort to unconscionable manufacturing practices to get that product forth. God is no different. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, listen closely to this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, and Jesus is the vine... No more can you except you abide in me. Then he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. So what he says is if you're not tapped into me, the vine and you're a branch, you can't do anything. You can't produce Jack for this world that is good. The father does not believe anything that you do is good. If it's not tapped into me and my will, because me and my will will lead the fruit you produce to people knowing truth. Everything else is going to be not acceptable. It's all or nothing. He seems to be saying here in my interpretation, I could give a rat's rear end if you feed the poor, or uh, if, if you're feeding the poor, gets them to embrace a false god. That seems to be what that says. A tree cannot produce Granny Smith apples and disease-laden apples and be considered good. This is not in the context of what Jesus is saying. So where I used to say Mormonism does a lot of good in the world, I am now of the opinion that relative to God's perspective, all the good they actually do contributes to leading people from him. Because of Joseph's teachings, and that can only be bad religion. You see? So Jesus continues. 19, every tree that bring forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So if you have a tree that isn't doing what God tied into the vine, if it's producing fruit that is not from him, he says it's going to be cast into the fire. Again, a tree that does not produce good fruit is a tree that only produces bad fruit. There is no in between. And then he concludes, the big one, the grand poopah that is used out of context by all the missionaries, wherefore, By their fruits, meaning the fruits of the people who call themselves prophets, ye shall know them, meaning you shall know the prophets themselves. So in review, here lies some of the issues with the LDS interpretation of this verse. First, it's not quoted completely. If they ever say, hey, by their fruits you shall know them, you say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't it say, wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them? Well, yeah, it says that probably. Well, what is that wherefore referring to? Oh, it's referring to the context of the passage? Oh, and the context is Jesus is telling us how we can tell if a prophet is good or bad, all right? And then it's stated out of context. It uses our good fruits as evidence that the church is true. It refers to prophets false or true and not to the works of a church or a people. It's talking about prophets. You can't use it as evidence of a church being true. And it puts their founding prophet, who provided a majority of their doctrinal fruits, right on the stand for trial. When they use that scripture on you and say, hey, by their fruits you shall know them, you say, perfect. Let's talk about that. This is talking about prophets and the fruits that they've produced. Let's put the fruits on trial. Next week, we're going to go into and we're going to examine all the fruits, specifically that Joseph provided through his uh, revelations as a supposed prophet. And we're going to see both when he presented them and how they have gone through the ages and what they have produced in Mormonism as a whole. Now, there are some of those fruits that are, in the world sense, good. They do care for their poor. They like families. They do some good things that way. They keep manicured lawns. They believe in obeying the law. All those things are very nice from an earthly humanitarian perspective. But unfortunately, on that same tree, we've got some heinous stuff. Heinous! And all you gotta do is look around and you can see what that fruit really is. One bad uh, apple on that tree uh, is all. The second way the Lord uses fruits in the scripture is when he speaks of the spiritual developments that occur, the the fruits which naturally flow from an individual believer, okay? And we're going to talk about those nine specific fruits in the lives of individual believers in two weeks. But again, the word does not speak of collective fruits of the church. Nowhere in there does it speak about a collective group of fruits that the church is producing. Why? Because the church is composed, and this is another way that that verse shows Mormonism off. That verse, used in context, shows that individual lives produce the fruit. Because God resides in them, they're tapped into the vine, and those spiritual fruits start coming forth and manifesting themselves and producing more. That means that people from all walks of life, all denominations, all parts of the world, all colors, all sexes, all levels of intelligence can be Christian. And collectively they form the church because the the New Testament only talks about the spiritual fruits of the individual as they are sanctified by being tapped into the vine through Christ. The LDS church would have you believe that you can look at them and say, wow, that, that church provides great fruits. That's not cont- in, in context with scripture at all. And so we know that the church is not made of a building or an institution. It's made of individual believers who have him in them, and they are producing spiritual fruit after they've walked with him and learned to be sanctified. I hope that makes sense to you, but it is a point that they have not seen, and so they, when they step forward and they arrogantly say, by their fruits you shall know them, you can use these points to say, I'm sorry, but you're, you're just not using that in the correct sense that it was given. Finally, to admit that Joseph Smith was wrong on one thing, one thing, would throw everything that he has said into the hopper. The LDS church knows this. They have not rescinded Doctrine and Covenants 132 on polygamy, They have not taken that practice back either in their temples for a man to be sealed to more than one wife. They haven't rescinded anything. All they've said is we've stopped practicing that. We still believe it, wink, wink, wink. If they said Joseph was wrong on this, it would be a bad fruit hanging on a tree, and you would know that that tree was not a prophet. So they will always cling to Joseph. It's only when they will say, Joseph, we're sorry, but we don't agree with what he said on this, that the church has a chance to go the way the Worldwide Church of God did and open its doors and say, wow, let's let Jesus in, get Joseph out, and let's make this a church that worships God in truth and spirit. That's the thing that they're facing. So again, as we move forward, uh, we're going to discuss fruits specifically in detail next week. And then following next week, we're going to discuss the nine spiritual fruits, at least nine that are mentioned, and how those play into the life of a true believer. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20. 801-973-8820. If you're on the radio uh, and you hear this phone, please call us and let us know you're on a cell phone. We invite LDS to call, and uh, and we invite first-time callers to call. And we hope that you'll turn your television sets down when you get on the air. And let's have something good and fruitful to say. And we will uh, go from there. We're going to Chris in Salt Lake City, who says he's a first-time caller. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Thanks for taking my call.
1: You're welcome, Chris. Are you a first-time caller?
3: Yes. All
1: right, what's going on?
3: Well, I just have a question. In the Bible, it says, test all things and hold fast to that which is good. Yeah. And I was wondering, how would the LDS person claim to live out that verse? Oh. How, how are they living out that verse? Test all things, hold fast to that which is good. Like, when you interact with LDS people what answer would they give to that like how are they testing all things and holding fast to that which is good?
1: Yeah, they would probably uh, quote uh, uh, Boyd K. Packer as having a higher authority to the Bible and say uh, when the brethren have spoken the thinking has stopped and So uh, you you wouldn't uh, test anything thereafter. You would just follow your leaders and don't go astray <laughs> So it's a great question, Chris. Excellent question posed. I can't answer it because it's going to be individual. There are LDS who do dive in and search and and test, but the majority of them, in my opinion, uh, won't test a single thing. So it's a great quote. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the point. All right. Okay. bye. We're going to Sky Blue in Ogden, first time caller. Sky Blue, you're on Heart of the Matter.
4: Hey, Sean. How are you doing today?
1: Good. How are you? Are you Indian? Uh,
4: No, actually, I'm Native American. The Indians are from India.
1: Uh-oh, I'm in, I'm in politically correct trouble now.
4: Yeah, that's all right. You'll be okay. Thanks. Hey, brother, I've got to give you some energy and a little bit of faith and strength. Um, last week I was watching, and these guys were just giving you a hard time about the Trinity of God. Yeah. And, and uh, actually, you know, if they were really reading the Bible, I'm not a scholar. I'm just a believer, and I really, truly believe that Christ lived and died for us, the whole thing. So you, as my brother in Christ, you study to show thyself approved, a work that need not be ashamed, but rightly divide the word of truth. But shun, shun profane and vain babbling, for they will they will increase unto more ungodliness. Remember that, brother. They're just trying to stumble you. They do. And it ain't gonna happen. Not in our world, not in Jesus' world.
1: Well, you're I appreciate your uh, comments, man. Thanks so much. I'll try to remember that. Right. I, have a, I have the feeling we're going to get some vain babblers any, any minute now.
5: We're
4: looking for you, though. Know, that's how they learn. It's okay.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks, thanks, right. thanks, Guy Blue. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Rose and Ogden on line two. Rose, you're on Heart of the Matter. Rose?
6: Um, I wanted to say that um, thank you again for your ministry how do um and you can answer this after with after uh we're off the phone but how do the mormons explain uh john 15. it talks about jesus talks about the vine and um it's just so it's so clear especially to the christian when the holy spirit is teaching you and you ask we know who the vine dresser is that's god and we know that um, the branch is Jesus, and we're the fruit. But how do they explain John fifteen four, abide in me? That's Jesus. Yeah. I am you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, and then you go on to five, was very very clear. Right. And it's just. It's not the building like you said. It's not the fine clothes. It's how we live our life for Christ. The testimony of our life that, um, that we live, um, it's, I, I just don't understand. So maybe you can, maybe you can explain that, and well, I'll hang up.
1: Okay, Rose, thank you so much, and I'll, I'll just talk to the camera. Thank you. Okay, bye. Uh, I don't think I can explain it, but I can offer a challenge to the LDS viewers uh, wherever they are. Listen, you don't have to believe me. Of course, we say this all the time. But take John chapter 15, uh, the Gospel of John, and just read it. Read it. Just read it five times in a week. and, And ask yourself, do you believe that about yourself and your relationship to God? And if you say, you know, I really don't believe it or I don't understand it, Then you might say well how come i've gone through being lds all these years and i don't even under i don't understand what he's saying here and i or i can't apply it to myself so we'll use rose's question and we'll say hey can you apply this to your own life now i would imagine there are going to be some lds who will be able to read that and say yes i can and just like i can imagine there'll be people from all over who could read it and say yes i can but i would also venture to guess, having been LDS and been in the church, that most would read it and say, "Eh, I just, you know, I I believe in Jesus, that he atoned for my sin, and he's my elder brother, and, you know, I really am appreciative for the opportunity to be able to become a god, and they, they respond in that way. Read it again and ask yourself, how come I'm not getting this, okay? While the operators, the lines are uh, full, you can call us at 801-973-8820. If you get a recording, just keep trying. If the phones are busy, keep trying. They open up, and we'll try to take your call. I got a great quote from Michael M., a good friend of mine, probably the foremost expert on Joseph Smith in the world. He sent uh, me a quote that said, this is from the Journal of Discourses, 5, uh, colon 203, October 12, 1856. Listen to this quote. You might as well deny Mormonism and turn from it, as to suppose the plurality, excuse me, as to oppose the plurality of wives. Let the president of this church and the twelve apostles and all the authorities unite and say with one voice that they will oppose this doctrine, and the whole of them would be damned. What he says is, this is a principle that is of God, that is eternal, the plurality of wives. And you can take the president of the church, the 12, everybody to stand up and say, we don't agree with it. And he says, they will be damned, journal of discourses. My question is, okay, they've changed that stance for now. What about all those people who believe that then? So my question is, what can you believe of what they're telling you today? Are they going to change that down the road when you're older and your kids are now my age and they start saying, wait a minute, it used to be this, now it's that. From the blacks and the priesthood, everything's constantly changing. Why? They're survivors. They realize if they stick in one place, doctrinally, they're going to get in trouble. That's what's happening with the Christian church. You stick to the Bible, you get in trouble because the Bible says things and the world does not like it. And you keep sticking with it, the more trouble you're getting in in this world. Well, the LDS church says, hey, we want to survive. We want to keep growing, so we're going to alter these things that are troublesome to people, and that's what they've done. All right, we have a Jason and West Jordan. Hang on, one more question from Trent, Massachusetts. Do you believe people can be saved from other faiths? Uh, I believe Trent that uh, no salvation can occur ever without, with any question, without Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. There is no exception to this. Now. The nuances, the extreme cases, the oddities, the difficulties are not in my jurisdiction. Uh, Never would supposed to be a person to say, that person is going to hell. That person is not, unless that person says, Jesus is not the way I reject them completely. But for everybody else, I'm leaving it up to God to do the judging. My job is to share Jesus, and hopefully that message will get out to people of all faiths. But I believe that it's not the faith. It is the person in the faith who seeks Jesus, and then once they come to find him, they will come out and follow him. Let's go to Jason in West Jordan online, too. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter.
0: Hi. Hi, Jason. Glad you took my call. Um, I wanted to point out something. Last week, you had an LDS person uh, calling in, and he made it out to be that you're your opinion of the Trinity was some radical, fundamentalist view that a lot of Christians don't hold, that, that your opinion is vastly different than is out there. Right. Now, um, as a Pentecostal, uh, we we hang out in social situations with people from Baptist Church, Calvary Chapel... Uh, catholic church presbyterian church we hang out with people of all other faiths that are christian and i can guarantee 100 percent that all real christian churches have the same view of the trinity as you do awesome
1: Uh, i can't tell you how much i appreciate the call i'm glad i took your call because they really try. They are really trying to make paint this picture that every Christian church is literally at odds with each other on the major tenets of Christianity, the Trinity included. Yeah,
0: that is that is absolutely not true. We're not at, we're we're at odds with each other and we're not even at odds. We have a different opinion maybe about small issues. Right. But when it comes to Christ dying dying for us on the cross, when it comes to the Trinity, Different things
1: like that. We're not at odds at all. And and just to let you know, uh, audience, what Jason is saying, J- what Jason said, you would think, well, the LDS believe that too. He said, dying on the uh, for sin on the cross for sin. The LDS do not believe he died on the cross for sin. They believe he suffered in the garden for sin and died on the cross of physical death. Even though there are at least seven to ten scriptures that talk about the cross, the cross, the cross the cross, nothing about the garden and the suffering, except that, uh, so that's one. And then the other thing he said, the Trinity, the LDS completely deny that. So we don't include them in the same group, and these are the reasons why. But what Jason is saying is, I, I'm not kidding, you can take them, I meet Christians from all walks, and every one of them, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And just like Jason said, I mean, we might differ on uh, what to wear, uh, not everyone has the fine fashion sense that I have, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but it's just the mind, it's the minutia. Oh, a great call. Uh, I really appreciate it, Jason. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Will in West Valley. No, we're going to Saul in Salt Lake first. He is- Will, we're getting to you. He's first time caller, LDS. Saul, you're on Heart of the Matter.
7: Oh, yes. Uh, I was, uh... Just responding to the uh, uh, bad fruit of uh, the polygamy fruit. Yeah. Uh, You know, when I went back to graduate school at Columbia from Utah, I was kind of the only Mormon guy hanging around, and I was talking to a Jewish professor, and uh, he said, oh, are you a Mormon? And I said, yeah. I said, I guess you heard about polygamy and all that. And he says, yeah, but don't— don't think you guys should uh, take all the credit for that. You know we've been practicing that for four thousand years. Uh, you know Mormons didn't invent polygamy. Uh, you know Mohammedan and uh, lots of Muslims uh, still do it. And uh, so I'm just kind of confused where uh, polygamy. Saw. is a is a bad fruit. Do you have a citation in the new or old or wherever you're looking that says uh, polygamy is an abomination in the sight of God or something?
1: Well, I have one in the Book of Mormon. Excuse me? I have one in the Book of Mormon.
7: Well, but we're not referring to the Book of Mormon oh. because that's a bad fruit. We're referring to only the New Testament and the Old okay. Testament.
1: All right, New and Old Testament. The the, the fruit, the, the scripture passage that I use that uh, polygamy is not of God are two. The first one is in Genesis where it says, God uh, made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and Jane. Okay, God's plan was one man and one woman. The second one was the author of polygamy who was Lamech, who was a descendant of Cain. And he's the one who started this idea. God has a permissive will and God God has a will that is exacting. His permissive will says, you want to go and do this, you can go ahead and do it, but it's going to destroy you. There's not one instance in the Bible, not one, where polygamy turned out to be a beneficial thing for the families involved.
7: I'm it's, it's, saying, did Cain start polygamy?
1: His son his son did, Lamech. What so was his name, from. name? Lamech, L-A-M-E-C-H. Yep. So, but that, this is all also beside the point, Saul. Uh, oh. I want to ask you, do you believe in polygamy? No, I'm just trying to follow your logic. Wait, 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 wait. You don't believe in it at all? You're LDS? You don't believe it's an eternal principle that should be practiced? Well, oh, I, I
7: think that uh, it's okay for... Uh, probably for you
1: or anyone else, if you want to go
7: have three wives.
1: Let me tell you something. Polyg- the doctrine of polygamy was almost the only thing that kept me Mormon. So. uh Almost a what? It's, it's almost the doctrine that kept me Mormon.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just don't know how I'd handle three women. You know, I just. Uh,
1: I don't think they know how you do it either. Listen, uh, uh, go- I
7: just I just was looking for a citation uh, I want to get hold of All Howard right, let, Polsky let, back there in uh, Queens, New York, because he confused me when he pointed out that uh, it wasn't Joseph Smith that invented polygamy and uh, saw billions of billions of
1: righteous men like Mohammedan and other Saul, saw. You made your point. Solomon, I wish I, do you I, know who Solomon was? Saul Yeah, I know who Solomon was. Yeah, uh, Saul, and it was his wives that brought his downfall. By the way, Saul, so, I know, but uh, listen, is it, um, Saul, I I wish that you would you would get rid of the. It confused me when, and then you give your big long diatribe about all the evidences of how polygamy is justified. I wish you'd just be. You know, this is the problem with the, with the conversation with most LDS guys. You know, is they, they do this kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of this lulling, I'm so dumb, I didn't understand this. And then they throw out all this evidence. and then, But, you know, just be straight with me, man. Look it. Let's go to, uh, there shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Okay? Uh, we can go through and we can read everything what that has about, to do. What
7: about? Uh, in Genesis, where it's considered uh, the death penalty for a man to lie with a man. Do you want to kill all the
1: homosexuals? Uh, first of all, I don't want to kill anybody. Well, Second okay. of all, this was the old covenant. You, you went to Columbia, and, and you're talking to Jewish guys, and you're asking a question like that? Look, at well, this is the old covenant.
7: Now you're attacking me. Well, of course,
1: because you're attacking me.
7: Sticking with the proposition.
1: Well, I, I just think the proposition's foolish to bring that out. It's a red herring in the argument. You brought in now homosexuality when we were talking about I polygamy.
7: You haven't supplied any citation that says polygamy is a bad fruit or whatever you're using as your analogy. <laughs> You know, well,
1: next week, you weren't well, mutually exclusive. I think if we can look at, uh, for instance, if we can look at In Sacred Loneliness by Todd Compton, and we can read about just the first-hand accounts of people who have been involved in polygamy, if we go to the FLDS concentration camps, if we go to Texas, we can look at the fruit of polygamy, and I just don't see it as this burgeoning, beautiful environment for women and children. You know, so I think that it's all um, implied here in the verses, but I'm not going to find You know, we all followed this thing in
7: Texas, the FLDS or whatever, and everybody was sure that the kids were going to be taken off to foster homes and that they were going to, you know, put the others in concentration camps or whatever. But why didn't the justice? Why did the justices reinforce and
1: uh, I move on. enable the polygamy? Why don't I want to respect you? But I got to move on. It's starting to uh, drown on a bit. We well, We're going to talk about polygamy next week yeah. to stay on task. We'll Take talk my about citation and let me know
7: what it is when you get one, will
1: you? Okay. Okay. I thought I answered it, but we'll go on. All Adios. right. Thank, thank you. Bye bye. I didn't think vodka was permitted in the LDS Church. Oh, all right, we're going to Will in West Valley on line three. Will, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, Will. Like your T-shirt. Thanks, man. <laughs>
5: it should be the other way around, though. <laughs> religion bad? <laughs> no, as in uh, religion first. Oh. <laughs> oh. Anyway, just wanted to make a, a quick comment. Just that uh, uh, when we moved to this neighborhood uh, years ago, and uh, uh, it's pretty much predominantly uh, LDS, and uh, I have no problem with that. They've been, you know, we have really good neighbors. Yeah. We really do. And uh, But uh, when my son turned about five years old, he, he wanted to become a Boy Scout, and uh, we were kind of worried about that because we knew it had to do with the Mormon church. And they told us, no, it has nothing to do with the Mormon religion. So we told our little boy that he could he could become a Boy Scout, and so... So he started going to the meetings across the street at one of the neighbors' houses, and uh, and everything was cool. And then finally, when they were going to have one of their main meetings, the scout meetings, uh, we went, and of course it was at the Mormon Steakhouse, and uh, and uh, we we get there, and these neighbors that basically know knew us, uh, they they wouldn't even make eye contact with us. Once we were on their turf, they wouldn't even talk to us. Wow. And. Uh, and sure enough, first thing they did is they had a little opening prayer, a little Mormon opening prayer. And I was like, wow, you, they told us this had nothing to do with the Mormon religion, you know? And uh, so then uh, shortly after that, uh, uh, just when my son was really getting into it, that all the other little boys told him that he couldn't be a Boy Scout because he wasn't uh, Mormon. Oh. And just, just totally broke his heart, just hurt his feelings, he came home crying. And uh, so we told the scout leader, and the scout leader was all upset. Well, I'm going to have a meeting with all the kids and tell them that this has nothing to do with being Mormon, and they were going to have us go and everything, and that never happened. And yeah. My son's heart was broken.
1: He just didn't want to go anymore. Oh, I'm sorry so, to hear that. That was the end of that, and I, I just wanted to make that comment that, you know, well, I, 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 we know. Maybe it's geographical. Maybe it's more like that in Utah. I know of people who have gone through the scouting program, and I'm sure they have prayers that they offer. But in, in uh, where we come from, they get through. They've gone Eagle Scout and have remained Catholics. So. Uh, oh really? Yeah, but it may be geographically uh, done here, and it's more, you know, hey, you got to be LDS to. I know they have ties in with uh, their priesthood and what they do at Sundays with scouting at times as far as activities go. So there may be a loss in not being LDS and being a scout anywhere in the world. But in, where, we, where I came from, it, wasn't, uh, it was allowable that people could do scouting and uh, not be LDS. I'm sorry to hear about that.
5: Yeah, well, it just got us upset because it, they lied to us, saying that it had nothing to do with it, and it did. Right and and they didn't correct it with the
1: other kids that, all right. that's all thanks so much for the call will all right well thank you god bless okay bye-bye, bye-bye. uh got an email while we're waiting uh it says sean i saw your show this week of the first time i'm sorry you had such a bad experience in the church it's tough at times no one said it was going to be easy but they said it would be worth it i don't believe what you say about the church I saw a friend of mine who was going down the wrong path change his ways recently. As a college student, he loved the party and wasn't the nicest to be around. Then he was introduced to the church. He completely changed his ways and was baptized. He is so happy now. He goes on and on. I want you to know, Matt, that uh, I did not have a bad experience in the church. I loved my uh, relationships with the people I had in the church. I found them to be some of the best people, like this caller said, on earth. So you've got it wrong. I had nobody offend me where I left because uh, I was offended by how they treated me. Uh, I, uh, there were some people I didn't like, but there's Christians I don't like, too. Uh, so it had nothing to do with that. It had to do, bottom line, doctrine. And it had to do with the fact that the doctrine did not make me a right man before God, Matt. So I know the LDS will always say, were you offended? Or, or what has happened? Come back. You know? We'll try to be nicer to you. It's not that, my friend. It's your doctrine. Now, I know that your friend who is going down the wrong path could join the LDS church, and it could help straighten him out. I know that it is a tremendous social organization. They almost worship the god of social engineering. And so it's an excellent way for people to get in community and culture and things like that. But it doesn't make it right. You could take that same friend, and instead of being introduced to Mormonism, is introduced to the military. Into a very strict regiment that taught him to dress nice and press his shirts and march right and work hard and be intelligent, and his life could change from that too. We're talking about earthly fruits here, which do not necessarily translate into spiritual truths that God offers through his Son. I did not find those spiritual truths that I knew I was saved, that I knew I was pleasing to him because of my faith in his son and not my work. So I hope that helps. Let's go to Doug and Sandy on the infamous line four. Doug, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Hey, I really appreciated what you had to say tonight about uh, good fruit and bad fruit.
1: Okay.
3: It reminded me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse 21. Uh huh. Jesus says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, Shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Right. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Uh And in your your name cast out devils? Uh And in your name done many wonderful works? Uh huh. And then will I profess unto them, I never Mm -hmm. knew you. Yeah. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And where you were talking about how it's so black and white from God's perspective that you know, it, you're either all good or all bad, kind of. Yeah. And and that really opened up my eyes to to this verse that Jesus spoke from the Sermon on the Mount. So I we, really appreciate that. Hey,
1: wait, you know what, Doug? It opens up my eyes th- to what you read because, you know, he says, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, so in my kingdom, and he that does the will of my Father. Now you can say, well, what is doing the will of his Father? And if you jump over to John chapter 6, it says, and they said unto Jesus, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. The work of God is belief. So I'm so glad you pointed that out. And then he goes on, and I think it's interesting in those verses you pointed out, that it says they prophesied in his name. Now, I don't know many churches today that claim to prophesy in his name. And yet they did, and they cast out devils, and they did many. It says wonderful works. It says they did many wonderful works. And yet, at the end, he says, "Hey, I don't even know who you are." Yeah. So it has. It boils down to abiding in the vine. It does. What he said. It does. Abiding in the vine, doing the will of the Father, which is to believe on the Son. That abide. That that is the abiding in the vine, and then you do that work that is recognized by God as good fruit but we appreciate you, Sean. Thanks, man, I appreciate the call. Okay, bye. God bless, bye-bye. Okay, let's go to Damon in Clearfield, first time caller. Damon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, yeah, Sean, it's great to
8: talk to you. I uh, have a couple of questions for you. Yes. Um, I was raised as a young child in the LDS church uh-huh. and uh, kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. My father was Catholic and got a lot of pressure from the people in the church, well, you know, you need to, your, your father's a sinner and you need to bring him over to this side and whatnot. And that really turned me off for a long time. I'm in my 30s uh-huh. and now I've uh, started to go to a Baptist church and really understand the word of God awesome. as, you know, as the book, as the Bible. And my, I guess, I'm confused about my faith. Um, I, I, I would love to be saved, and I just don't know how, to, how about to go do it. Uh, you know, I pray to my Lord and Savior every night that he will be my Savior. But I just, I think that the LDS Church really clouded my mind at a young age, and I don't know how about to, I guess, rationalize that in my mind? You know, take all the cynic- cynicism out of my out of my brain. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, or I do.
1: I I was in the same position of my my brain was clouded, and uh, and so I I too would say the sinner's prayer, or I too would pray to God and do those things, and yet I would always go back in my mind. But this, the, the, the word says that as you read the word, you will have a renewing of your mind and you will, you will have this new spirit come in and you will become a son of God, not by blood, not by will, not by the power of man, but by uh, him, but by God, and you will have this new spirit. But here's the thing, Damon, do you believe that Jesus Christ came, he suffered, he died for your sin, and that you, uh, not by your own merits, by, by his shed blood are saved, Yes, I do okay and do you want, do. do you want him to be the the lord of your life yes okay and uh you will you are willing to let him do whatever lead you whatever you're gonna follow his will where he directs you you're gonna do it that i have that's always a catcher, isn't it it is
8: it's it's so hard because I tried to control things in my life you know that that I thought I could control and that just ended up into a quandary, into a mess. Usually does when we get involved. And, you know, and it
1: just it doesn't work. It doesn't work when I try to control my life. Okay, so you just gave yourself your own answer there. You just said you, you, it doesn't work when you step in, so how about adding to the mix, Lord, I trust you, I know you've died for me, I know you are the author of my salvation, I give you my life, become the Lord and King of my life, and give me the faith, to let you control everything. You gotta get to the point where you say, if you want it, it's yours, I'll do it. And he knows, he's not gonna make you go out and put on a pointed hat and dance in the street. He's gonna love you and he's gonna lead you. And with gentleness, like a little lamb, he's gonna, he's gonna cradle you and protect you, and he's gonna make you better over time. He's done it in my life, he's done it to everybody who knows the Lord, this is how he works. You have nothing to fear when turning it over to him. You have everything to fear when you turn it over to yourself or to other men or women who say they know the way. You, Damon, I tell you, do not fear him. Trust him. Go to him. You wanna do it right now on the air? Sure, I, yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean. That's a firm commitment, my friend. <laughs> I just,
8: you know, I just, I, it's just so confusing to me. Why? Wow. I, I really want
1: I, I want to be saved. I want to be... Okay, Damon, you have the desire, then this is the, this is the key. You give, you're, trying to, yeah, you're trying to figure it out in your mind. This is the key. You pray, you ask him, and then you trust. That's called faith. That's called stepping out and tr- saying, listen, I don't know, but I'm going to have faith that you can show me. Just show me, and he'll start to give you glimmers in your life that he's working there. and you'll be, You might not have a miraculous event. But you, or you might. But it will happen. I promise. If you every day wake up and say, "Lord, I trust you. My life is in your hands. Take it today and do what you want." Let's pray. Offer your life to the Lord. Yeah,
8: I, and you know, and, and at church, they do an altar call,
1: and I'm too afraid to go up there in front of everyone. Well, you don't have to now. Now you can just do it right here in the quiet of your home. Nobody knows. Just you and the Lord. Yeah. I, I mean, I do,
8: I do accept the Lord and Savior okay. as my Christ. Okay. I inform my sins on Calvary. Awesome. And uh, I, do, I do trust in him, and it's up to me to follow in his words and the word of the Gospel.
1: That's right. You keep trusting him. You keep saying that prayer to him. I want you to look at the screen for a minute, Damon. We only have 50 seconds. These are all people who have uh, come to him. They believe on him. They've trusted in him. If they could sit here in this spot, they'd be able to tell you. He works miracles. We're looking over at camera three. Uh, He works miracles in uh, lives, Damon. We're going to pray for you, and uh, we love you, and I know he's going to work in your life if you let him every day say work in my life lord show me i trust you all right god bless you thank you sean god bless you bye 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 and now this is the bellflower group you have anything to say
0: Thank you.
3: you.
1: hey come to lord's word this sunday uh the gateway theaters nine to ten and hear them do worship the word preach prayer we love you see you next week on heart of the matter
0: My rusty cage and run. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. Gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. Really gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my.